Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I just wanted to be a reflection. Like when I go to the, when I used to go to the airport or go to a bookstore or go to a conference and I would see the books that were available in the business section, I just would see so many white male faces looking back at me. And I learned so much from many of them, but there was a relatability that was missing. And and so I always look for the covers that have black women. Hello, and welcome to the Wannabe podcast, a behind the scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries. So you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm of course your host, Imriel Morgan. Thank you all for taking the time to check out the episode with Elaine Wellshroff last week. It is one of the most listened to episodes of the season, and I am not surprised. Elaine spoke nothing but the truth. So if you missed it, go back and check it out. Today's guest is venture capitalist and Backstage Capital founder Arlen Hamilton. Arlen was the star of Startup, a podcast by Gimlet Media in 2018. Arlen has been dedicated to raising funds to support underestimated founders. She's been incredibly vocal about the discrimination faced by black founders, in particular women, when it comes to accessing venture capital. She's now the author of a book called It's About Damn Time, which will be released in the UK and the US on May 7th. In today's episode, Arlen shares what inspired her to go after a career as a venture capitalist. She reveals some of the discrimination she faced on her journey, and she shares how she was able to write her book while maintaining her day-to-day work with Backstage. Stay tuned at the end for her best advice, which left me speechless. Let's go. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today, and why? Mm, I wanted to, well, today, yeah, so I wanted to work in live music mainly, although I did get to do that for quite a bit of time. But I wanted to be a arena-level artist tour manager. So someone who was selling out arenas or even stadiums, I wanted to work my way up to being their tour manager. And I had gotten maybe 20% of the way there before venture capital and the startup world came calling. What changed? What changed was the job itself working on on the road is um, really fun and interesting, but it's not stable. And so I had been off the road for a little bit and had started learning more and more about startups, just kind of seeing what other people were doing. I was seeing Ellen DeGeneres and Ashton Kutcher and Lady Gaga's manager, Troy Carter and Justin Bieber were making these investments in startup companies. And I wondered It was like 2011 or something like that. And I was just like, why are they doing that? I wonder why they're doing that when I think they have like really interesting lives already in entertainment. So it started as a curiosity, just kind of being in that world, hearing a few things here and there, different artists that I was road managing and and assisting at the time. They were making little bitty investments or their managers were. And so it started with curiosity and then that turned into well, I've always been an entrepreneur and now I know a name for it. There's a blueprint for it and I want to start a company. 
And that turned into the research to learn everything I could about starting a company and getting investment money for it. And that's when I learned that more than 90% of all venture funding to go into these startups goes to straight white men in the United States. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't make any sense. And I figured, you know, kept pulling at me and I figured I can go out there and try to raise money for my one company for myself in 2012 ish and beyond. But if I don't help make this whole landscape look a little different and execute differently, then I'm going to have trouble every single step of the way. And everyone else that I know who should be given a shot is going to have trouble. So like I said, this bigger picture, I'd be putting out a tiny fire over in the corner when the whole room was on fire. Yeah. So that's when I said, you know what, let me see if I can put this same energy and passion and execution into something that's a little bit bigger than just me. Yeah, no, that you've done a phenomenal job in terms of raising awareness, you know, actually putting money into the pockets of founders that I guess are classified as underrepresented. Um, I think you guys use the term underestimated. And, you know, your story is just incredible. I mean, I listen to startups. I actually found out about you on Twitter first. I was like, who is this person everyone keeps talking about? And then found out that you had done a season on Startup by Gimlet. And something in your story that has honestly stuck with me since I listened to it. And I mean, Gimlet is just phenomenal storytellers in general. But the one thing that really stuck with me about your story was you talked about growing up, was it Jehovah's Witness? Yes. Yeah. And that you would go door knocking with your mum and you got used to hearing the word no a lot and having the door slammed in your face. And that gave you, you know, the energy and the fire to keep going because you're used to hearing no. And I just wanted to know what the impact, if that is as significant as I took it away from it. <laughs> as it Well, was. I mean, it's... I, I just hesitate to to make it anything positive because I personally, I got out early and I personally have a lot of problems with Jehovah's Witnesses, like mm-hmm. a lot. And I advocate for people who are there and they no longer want to be. So it's very deep, you know, what they were saying on the Gimlet series, and this is kind of the vibe they took with it, which was, yes, I have... <laughs> I, as a child, when you have the, literally the door slammed in your face and you're watching people reject you over and over again, it's not so much that that's a good thing that I would recommend other people try to emulate and have their kids have happen to them, but it does set you up for like people, I get on these calls and these business calls or any kind of calls I have and people are trying to, you know, bully or try to intimidate. And I'm just like, ah, it doesn't even. It just rolls off my back because it doesn't really mean anything to me. So I just kind of set the stage a little bit, but I don't necessarily think that that was the direct connection to it. There was a lot more in between that happened. Sure, of course. So now you've written a book. Could you kind of talk me through why, why a book and why now? Yeah. So I, about a year and a half ago, started working on this book. It's about damn time. And I co-wrote it actually with a woman who I've known for 15 years who lives in Nottingham named Rachel Nelson. In England? Yeah, yeah. And her name is on the front cover. So we have what's really exciting. I'm so excited about this. So on May 5th, It's About Damn Time launches in the U.S., Canada, but it also launches simultaneously in the U.K. with, with a different publisher. 
on the same day, which is not very common. Usually the if it's in the UK too, it'll happen a few weeks later, but it's launching the same day. So I'm so excited about that. But about a year and a half ago, I had I get thousands of messages across all platforms per week. And a lot of those messages are people asking me to be their mentor. And there's no capacity to do that. And so I started thinking of ways of, and at the time it was hundreds per week and now it's thousands. But at the time, a year and a half ago, I thought, well, how can I mentor at scale and have true impact and not just be, I didn't want the book to be just inspirational. I think inspirational books are great, but I didn't want it to be just inspirational. I also Mm -hmm. wanted it to be practical and relatable so that like you can read the book be inspired to do something and also have tools to do those things. Like it's actionable. And that was really, really important to me. So I, I put this package together of this is not a hundred percent memoir and it's not a hundred percent business book, but it's a really interesting combination of the two so that you can see what I did. I won't send you out to do anything that I wouldn't do myself and see what has worked for me and what hasn't worked for me and what I've learned from that and what, I'm always about like, how can I take what I've learned and the experiences that I've gone through and have them not be for in vain, like going through the hardships that I went through. I don't want that to be for nothing. So how can I take that and then use that to help other people like save a lot of time. And when you save Mm -hmm. a lot of time, you save a lot of money. So I'm doing that with my book. It's about damn time. And I'm also, I also have a new online course about raising capital since I've raised more than $10 million in four years. And so those two things, I think, are like really the way you do that. And you go to itsaboutdamntime.com to look at both of those, actually. Great. The book sounds amazing, and I can't wait to get a copy of it. And yeah, as an entrepreneur um, myself, there's just so many different stories, ideas, ways of doing things that it can be so completely overwhelming. And, you know, your story really like, touches so many people because it is relatable in so many different ways and not least because I'm black and I can relate to you on that level as a black woman who is struggling to get finance and funding um, and also just kind of experiencing discrimination and prejudice Um, but also I think it's beautiful that you have the opportunity to document this experience through. Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A book through literature. It's an archiving of our experience, which I think is really impactful. And was that a factor in your decision to write the book as well? Was it like to make sure that there is an archive and I guess a legacy associated 
with you and your story? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want that. I, I just truly what I want is for like you just said in a couple of sentences, something that is actually really heartbreaking to me is that you deal with discrimination and this and that. And women of color, black women in this case, mm. we deal with so much. Like we deal with so much. The insults never stop, you know, in some way. The insult to injury never stops for us. And I just wanted to be a reflection. Like when I go to the, when I used to go to the airport or go to a bookstore or go to a, a conference and I would see the books that were available in the business section, I just would see so many white male faces looking back at me. And I learned so much from many of them, but there was a relatability that was missing. And so I always look for the covers that have black women. And I wanted to be another one of those strong voices that let people know, and even maybe even more relatable in some cases because of my queerness and because of my, you know, even on the cover of this, of this book, I'm wearing like a maybe $15 hoodie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my pants, the pants are nice, but the, the, the hoodie, is, <laughs> it's just like, it's just me, you know, and it's, you don't have to have all this pomp and circumstance to, to get your point across. And so I think no matter how many books I write or what I do next, this, like, as you've pointed out, like this capsule of the last five years or so is incredibly unique and I don't think it can ever be replicated by me or anyone else. And so, yes, I think it's always going to have a really special place in my heart, this first book. Do you think you'll write another one? Yes, I will. I know I will. On what? I can't say. But oh. uh, I know I, I know I'll write another one soon. And I in the future, I mean, all I want to do is continue to give resources to to entrepreneurs. I want to share my story and then not necessarily to only to entrepreneurs, but to people, anyone who wants to do something big in their lives but thinks they maybe they can't. I want to represent in that way. But yeah, I I have the bug, man. I, I feel like I wanna <laughs> I wanna write a book every I wanna release a book every two years. Oh wow, that's yeah. I know that's that's ambitious. <laughs> we'll see if everybody else agrees. Like this first book, we'll see how it does, and then we'll see if everybody else agrees. But if people like what I'm doing, I'm definitely gonna uh, aim for that. Amazing. Um, I guess I'm curious. With writing a book, it's very time consuming and can be all consuming. How did you manage the kind of I guess doing all things with backstage and then also writing the book, like what was the time management and you're juggling that with your day to day? Yeah. And I think a lot of people think for some reason, a lot of people think I don't do much outside of tweet, write my book and talk about <laughs> myself. <laughs> I, I spend 90% of my day and anyone who works with me can attest to this. 90% of my day is on backstage is on talking to founders that we've invested in helping them with things, working on the strategy for the next raising capital to put into those companies, raising capital to keep our lights on, et cetera. So I definitely, when I started, I knew I needed to have help. And that's why I brought in Rachel, who does live in Nottingham. I brought Rachel in because she's known me for 15 years. She's never written a book, but what she was able to help me do is organize and like organize my time. So Mm -hmm. I would spend like every week we'd have a day or two that we would pull like an hour or so. And we would talk about what we wanted to accomplish in that week. And then I would go off and 
either speak into uh, my voice memo and have it transcribed or I type. Like there's a chapter about drinking, um, how I stopped drinking that I typed. I remember typing it and not being able to stop. And it was just, it just happened within a few minutes. And then there were chapters where I spoke and was, it was transcribed. And then Rachel helped to, you know, put it in, in this place and that, like a puzzle, really. Yeah. Amazing. That sounds nice, actually. I would love a Rachel. <laughs> to yeah, help me Rachel's, write a book. Rachel's clutch, man. <laughs> <laughs> if only we all had a Rachel. That sounds amazing. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you had the help that you needed and ensure and, and you were still able to get on with the work that you do because it's so important and it's so integral to so many founders who have, you know, gone through the backstage accelerators who are like currently been funded by by you guys like the work you do is so essential um so I'm glad to know that no one was neglected during the making of the book Um, no that would be very uh (laughs) counterproductive yeah in fact the revenue that I make from the book and I've already done this I've had a, a quite a large advance from the book all of that money goes right back to backstage it's how Amazing. I'm able to invest in certain companies and it's how I'm able to keep the lights on. So the book is absolutely connected to Backstage. Amazing. That's incredible and very generous of you. But I guess Backstage is your baby. So you, the desire to keep it going and to keep it living is, is really there. I'm going to get my final question in. And that is, what is the best advice you've ever received? And what's the worst advice you've ever received? Worst advice was not the worst. I mean, the best and worst don't really count, but it's like one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever received was when a black woman told me that I needed to dress better. Oh my God. Yeah. When I went to a meeting to, that I thought she was going to try to like invest in me. And instead she, she berated me about how poorly I dressed and how I needed to step it up if I was going to ever be taken seriously. And I raised money from Mark Andreessen two weeks later in my hoodie. So that was one of the worst. One of the best was Therese Tucker. I interviewed her for my podcast about three years ago and I was going through a tough time because I often am (laughs) financially. And I was telling her three years ago, like, you know, things are tough. And she was telling, she, she is a founder who started a company after being sexually harassed at her day job. She started a company in her early fifties she bootstrapped that company to be a billion dollar company with a B and over a 10 year period. And so I was interviewing her and I asked her how she survived those first few years where she would have to, she had just told me she would have to call her friend and almost kind of beg for capital to do paycheck to paycheck when she couldn't make it work. And thankfully she had a friend who could help, but it was very humiliating to her. And I had been in that similar situation around that same time. And I said, how did you do that and like survive it? I almost cried when I said it because she didn't know what was going on. And she said, well, pride is not an asset. And when she said that, I just like left my body. I was like, whoa, you're right. Like it's pride is not worth anything. So if you have to be humble and go and ask for help so you can keep the lights on to your company, you're not losing or losing anything because you're not losing an asset pride is not going to help you or hurt you right you know you know what I mean yeah it was just so it was like blew my mind and every time I get into a situation I don't get into those types of situations too often but 
anymore. But when I get into a situation of any type that is like I have to ask someone and sort of put myself in a position of not having leverage, I say, well, you know what? This is especially when it's for somebody else, like especially when it's for payroll for my team or it's health insurance for my team or a company that needs another investment of a million dollars and I'm asking on their behalf. I just say, you know what? Pride is not an asset. Let's go. Amazing. That's incredible advice. I love it. Yeah, I love it. That is incredible. I might put that on a poster. I I mean, I have it. I I should. I should put it up somewhere. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alan. A huge thank you to Arlen, who very generously gave me her time for this episode. You can pre-order her book, It's About Damn Time, from itsaboutdamntime.com, which drops on May 7th. Proceeds from the book go towards Backstage Capital, which funds underestimated founders. Follow Arlen on Twitter at ArlenWasHere. For updates on Wannabe, follow Content is Queen on Twitter at Content is QN and Instagram at Content is Queen HQ. We share so much good stuff on there, guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends via your Insta stories or tweet us at ContentSQN. We've pulled some amazing quotes from the episode, which you can reshare via Instagram and on Twitter. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com. This podcast is proudly a Content is Cream production. A huge thank you to Ellie Clifford for making these home recording edits work. And I mean, she is really making it work, y'all. So shout out to Ellie. Thank you for listening. And until next time, bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.